0: Get your gear ready. This is A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Greetings and welcome to A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guide you along your innovation expedition. This is Ben Tingey and Jay Gerhardt, and we'll be discussing our insights and learning from uh, our recent attendance at the Mayo Clinic Transform Conference, which was September 27th to 29th in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, There will be videos of the conference that will be posted online at the conference website, but we wanted to get together to share our ideas uh, with each other and also with our team and with the rest of you. Um, So before we get into it, um, Jay, what were your first impressions of Rochester?
1: Um, You know, it was funny. I I got quite an impression about the first hour I got there. My flight was in, um, got in around dinner time, so I just went straight to the hotel and went to went to a restaurant, kind of sat down at the bar to, to get food and was just kind of digesting everything. And I just started kind of casually eavesdropping over conversations <laughs> around me. And it really hit me what Mayo Clinic and Rochester are all about. Huh. And um, so pretty nearby, um, there were uh, there's a gentleman next to me talking to a couple at the uh, the other end of the bar. And I just kind of got snippets of information. And I kind of started understanding what was going on when when uh, uh, the uh, lady and the couples uh, used the words re- recurring brain tumor. So wow. you knew that's why they were there. And it clicked to me. You know, when you're a in rochester generally you're either a caregiver of a physician someone working for the mayo clinic or you're there to get care for something really serious and they were speaking to the gentleman next to me and i couldn't tell exactly you know was he a physician was he a patient i thought i heard the words heart lung in there somewhere so no. you know i Tried to not completely <laughs> overhear the entire... <laughs> I heard you were enjoying
0: uh, your cornbread quite a bit. Yes, so, uh, the,
1: the food was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, after the couple left, I uh, got to talking to the gentleman there a little bit and, real, and learned that he was indeed a doctor, uh, heart-lung transplant specialist, and he actually commutes there um, every week um, for four days or so a week from Tucson, Arizona. And I'm like, wow. That is something else, you know. I, I kind of wanted to ask, why do you do that? But he he kept talking, and then I got why. And this was a guy who was really young, fit, completely healthy, seeming impressive guy. And you know, he started telling me about uh, a few years ago having some heart issues. He was telling me. You know, his blood pressure was all over the place. At one point, it was like 160 over 40, which is almost like a nonsensical level of blood pressure to have. And he came to the Mayo Clinic, and I don't know everything about the treatment. I didn't get into it too deep, but they kind of rebooted his heart, essentially, some EP-type procedure probably, and took care of it. I'm like, wow, and kept going on. Well, soon after that, he gets diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer. Again, this is not a, a guy you would expect that to be going on with. So he goes to Mayo, gets his treatment. Assume he's doing okay because he's doing great work. So uh, he was there you know, as a patient and a physician. Now I know why he is commuting. This is more a lot more than a job to him because he's – Doing something that's probably hard for his family, but, you know, he was telling me, I I tell people, I'm going to take care of you because I don't want to see you again. (laughs) Once we take care of you, I want you to be able to go back and be taken care of. So... That was like the first two hours in Rochester. Wow. And, you know, we're working on world-class clinical services and destination care, and it just tells you what the Mayo Clinic was all about. So that was an awesome connect to purpose the the first night.
0: Oh, what an incredible story. And to to meet people like that on your first night is, uh, uh, I mean, maybe we're saying it's not so coincidental. I mean, those are the people that are in Rochester. It, yep. It's It's this smaller city. Uh, I mean, there are lots of sky rises and things like that, but I don't think the population is very large. And really, it's an economy almost entirely dependent on the Mayo Clinic.
1: Yeah, they, they've had IBM in the past. And they still have some IBM facilities. So I was looking up. Mayo Clinic there has 32,000 people. It's a metro area of just over 200. So the city of Rochester is the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. They've got covered walkways that you and I toured through the you everywhere. It is... Oriented towards destination care. Yeah. So that, it, it was an experience getting to see it. Absolutely. It was really special. Um, well, it's so a little bit more about this conference.
0: It was hosted by the Mayo Clinic Center for Innovation, and it was a three-day event, and I, I believe it was their 10th year putting on this conference. That's what uh, they said at the beginning. Um, there were attendees from all over the country as well as some international attendees that yeah. we got to meet and they were actually some of our favorite presenters exactly and uh, so a, a really great collection of people who have a lot of passion about changing healthcare for the better and and people doing really creative things and um we met a lot of people that work at the Mayo Clinic and got to talk with them and get, hear their perspective about working for the center of innovation or in other areas of the system. And and uh, it it is a wonderful institution. And they also said that it faces a lot of the same struggles that large institutions do uh, struggle with and, and that that shouldn't come as a surprise, yeah. um, but that they um, find ways to Put the patient first, and and sustain the excellence that they've had for such a long time.
1: Yeah, I think transform is an apt name for the conference because yeah. it's really you know there's a lot about transformation at the policy level, but also a lot about innovating you know back back at the community. And I it was you know a great collection of people who were very down-to-earth and open. Uh, I thought that was really cool for a conference like this. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the people that attended. And what we're going to do is we'll take a few minutes to talk about the three days because uh, there were maybe some themes that we can tease out that were discussed uh, each day. Uh, so the first day, there was some meet-and-greet We learned a little bit about the Center for Innovation as well as Mayo generally and its history and how it came to be. Started meeting some people in in some of the um, pop-up spots that they had and and uh, and over lunch and things like that. And then the first session was, I thought, a pretty – they had some pretty powerful speakers yeah. to kick off the first you session. Got out of the they did that. Pretty well. They sure did. It was it was awesome. And so, uh, so Jay, why don't you tell us who who were some of those people that that were in that first session and what what stood out to you? What were some of the interesting things that you learned?
1: Yeah, they. Uh, I th- think the opening session was called "Mind the Gap," and it really got into policy level yeah. type of thing and what really. Uh, uh, really, they were all good. But Andy Slavitt I I was not really familiar with before, um, you know, really oversaw Obamacare and, and CMS and had a large role there. And obviously he's not in that capacity now, but I never heard him speak. And uh, he, he really laid out such a, a logical um, – you know, fairly bipartisan approach, although I'm sure he's fairly partisan. And and you could see that a little bit, but it was really down the middle. And, you know, one of the things I wrote down, he said, we can't afford to have health care shift from election cycle to election cycle. We can't recreate this every four years. And I'm like, absolutely right. We've uh, but that that feels like where where we are, but uh, that stuck out to me and um and he had four building blocks i you probably took these down too yep, so I wrote no, them to start on that sure
0: so uh, and the first one I think was related to his comment about we can't keep going back and forth switching between election cycles as he said the what will make healthcare care stick making a fix really happen is if uh, we can get americans to understand the trade-offs and create a system that 60 to 70 percent of america can agree with yeah so this is something where it's not just one party making the legislative changes but it's something that there's consensus from both aisles and the vast majority of the country is uh, accepting of it and then that's that's
1: really the system we have to get yeah. to. That was his first point. He made it sound so simple, but we probably know, no, it's not. But that that was a good starting point. And and the second thing he talked about was um, the need to test policies at a, a state level. And he mentioned, you know, Romney Care in Massachusetts. There there was a lab, and there are other states doing things. So. You know, and that's the innovation mindset. And I think that's great to apply to this, because when you try to change fifty states at once, that's a big battleship to turn. So let's try some different things in in, in states, try smaller experiments and see what works. And maybe we don't think about the government for experiments, but We've got to do something to get some traction on on change. I thought that was great advice.
0: Yeah, and to his credit, from someone having spent so much time at the federal level, it was great to hear that uh, they're encouraging um, innovation and and experimentation at the state level. Yeah. Um, the third was, uh, in, as a healthcare system, we spend a lot of time worrying about quality and sustaining innovations and the types of things. But really, in order for the system to transform we have to focus so much more on costs. but that's that is so key that we have to deliver great care uh, as great and even better than what we're doing right now but we've got to figure out the cost problem
1: yeah and he made the point i think there were a lot of people in that room who could probably sign on to single payer but he made the and he he might too but he made the point that we're not we're not even ready if we signed on single payer now how do we control the cost I mean that would that would be a serious burning platform but could really create uh, some some turmoil because we're not there yet as an industry yeah um,
0: and then the last one that I have written down is um, shifting our mindset about innovation and its potential to so thinking about it in a different way and, uh, d- and directing it in different, Toward different areas. So right now, we're we're trying to fix a lot of things about the healthcare system. And he said we need to see more innovation around the social determinants of health. We need to yeah. see more innovation around caring for vulnerable populations and um, housing scarcity and, and housing. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, the, I'm the, gonna, the, the social uh, determinants. Yeah, for, adverse childhood events yeah, and and yeah. um it, it, it's well like beyond
1: that. what health care can do yeah. on its own. But even within healthcare, care, I, I thought that really teed up what we heard on day three really well with uh uh some of the uh some of the folks like Halima Khan, Catherine Pereira bringing more of the social innovation. That hit me there's there's so much that can be done that doesn't involve big buildings and Uh, you know, re-engineer entire systems and it takes the community. So I thought that really set the tone for later in the conference.
0: Yeah. And there was a neat speaker that same session, uh, Dr. Rita Redberg. Uh, She writes this journal series called Less is More. And a lot of the topics that she talked about, I think, had a low-end disruption Mm -hmm. feel to it where – uh, some of it was trying to reduce unnecessary utilization yep. and stuff like that, but other things were there is a good enough solution in healthcare that we need to be providing a lot yeah. more of that from a value perspective is much better than some of the costly prescription drugs and and procedures that we're currently doing. Yeah. So I, I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. I'd be interested to see what some of her articles are. Yeah, uh, yeah. And again
1: it's at the stage because when Clay wrapped things up, that yeah. low-end disruption, it really opened my eyes on that. Um, you know, another speaker, definitely a passionate speaker that I'd never seen before is Robert Pearl, who was a former CEO of the Permanente Group and uh, I think he has a fairly recent book out called Mistreated that might be worth a, worth a read. But it was really interesting to hear from him leading a system who's been pretty out front in terms of capitation. And he beat that drum real hard. He basically very strongly believes that until we are really operating in a capitated environment, there's really no way we can transform the the uh, system. So it would probably be a good book to uh, uh, check out a quote he had that I, it really stuck with me as he talked about uh, context shifts and changes. It's con was it context context shifts and changes behavior and perception. I might not have that uh, quite right, but uh, you know, it really gets into shifting behaviors and and perception before you really instill change. Yeah, he teaches occasionally at the Stanford
0: Graduate School of Business, um, and I think he spent some time learning about it and teaching about disruptive innovation. He seemed to touch on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, at least he used the word disruption if he's using yeah. exactly Clay Christensen's uh, um, specific definition, but – one thing that I thought could be an interesting topic for a future podcast, he, he said that he thinks medical tourism is going to be a major disruption the, to the healthcare industry.
1: That's right, and and uh, you know I wonder about that. Yeah, uh, I was trying to. Uh, I don't want it? to undersell the idea, but he talked about the two thousand bed hospital going in the Grand Cayman Islands. It's going to be a lot cheaper, but it's just off the coast of Florida. Uh-huh. Um, that could be disruptive yeah. to some segments. Uh, I, I question the scale, but. Uh, uh, it's certainly something to think and talk yeah, about. Yeah, thought that was fascinating. Well,
0: that I think is day one.
1: Um, yeah, th- th-
0: there are a few other speakers. Do you have anything else for day one? Yeah, Jay? I think
1: uh, just a couple of other things about day one is being introduced to the Mayo uh, Clinical Innovation Team, which you know we were looking forward to, and we got to talk to several of those folks. They've got a they've got a sixty person team now. They they're covering. Uh, arizona florida and mayo and rochester you kind of forget they have some satellites as well and uh, uh, very impressive what they're doing i mean i think they um uh, you know take some very similar design approaches to what we do in the innovation engine but i i really like the example they had a uh uh uh, I don't know if she was a breast surgeon or a medical oncologist, but they had a clinician there talking about really uh, using design thinking on the care model for breast care. And I thought uh, that was a really great example of that. i uh, uh, like to see us, us and others uh, doing more in, in that arena. So it was good learning. Be good to connect with those folks later and yeah. see more about what they do.
0: Yeah, and we learned a little bit about their team composition I'll just take a minute to to share what I learned. So uh, they have designers that are that do service design or other, I mean d- types of design elements. And then they have a role called Innovation coordinator. and they have and there are a few people in that role and those are longtime Mayo employees who really understand the system and have lots of connections across the system and they act, almost as a conduit between the design team and the operational stakeholders, helping mm-hmm. to make sure that the work is translated and communicated and and really managing that relationship. And then they have uh, project managers who are more responsible for the uh, operationalizing of whatever the new design process yeah. is. Uh, and so they're there to work very closely with the operational leaders to make sure that... The new processes are implemented and the, and it's sustainable and that it's you know over years that they yeah. continue that process. They also had an embedded IT
1: group. Yeah, which, they, uh, they had uh, uh, I think three, four, or five yeah, folks that work closely with awesome them. awesome for that, rapid prototyping and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So I yeah, pretty cool setup. Good group. They I think they've been in place for about. 10 years so what we in innovation i think are in our uh fifth year so we could aspire to that as a That's as a five-year goal yeah. but they've got um you know i think they've got a good cadre of uh you know design trained folks whether it's rhode island or 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 where, wherever and they've got people you know trained in industrial design in some cases but are really doing service design now so um some really well-trained people yeah
0: awesome any other day one thoughts? No. All right. Day two. Um, some of the sessions. We started out with a session called Overcoming Inertia. Yep. And um, I have a few notes on this one. Maybe you want to kick it off. I, yeah.
1: I. You know, what struck me uh, when Doug Wood, who's over the Mayo Center for Innovation, he came out and kind of set the tone for the day and Wrote a couple of things, and we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard for care. And I, it was interesting; I'd never heard of something called ColoGuard, uh-huh. but it's an alternative treatment to colonoscopy. I'm like, wow, that. You know, <laughs> I'm almost fifty. I need to check this thing out. So that, that's something to learn about. But he also said the best definition of health he's heard um, in talking to patients is I can do everything I need to do so that people who depend on me know that I'm okay. And I think you and I looked at each other, and he didn't use the words job, job to, to be, be done, done. Uh-huh. but he basically expressed an exact job to be done, yep. which was really pretty cool.
0: There was one thing that I really liked. It was a quote. I'm trying to remember who said it, and it ties into some comments that another male leader made – um, I think later that day, uh, and I, I think I actually tweeted this, but it said, uh, you know, emphasize the importance to build partnerships before you need them. And to me, I think in innovation, that's such a critical thing to do is to be building those partnerships and relationships with people across the system so that in the change management that comes with innovation, you already have people that trust and respect you and and uh, can help uh, move things along and have a how can we attitude yeah. uh, in in moving
1: forward to transform the yeah. the system. I mean, there was a lot about relationships, relationships and communities. Uh, I think day two was when we heard uh, uh, Halima Khan from a organization called Nesta, and you know we got to meet both Halima and uh, Catherine Pereira, and they worked with different organizations. But you think about England and you know over here it's a you know socialized government run medicine and people here aren't going to think innovation well you know they have more given what they spend on healthcare they have far more constrained resources so they have a definite need for innovation so it was really cool to meet uh, those two ladies who are doing really great things uh in social innovation working with communities um Halima had a quote uh, from one of my favorite movies, Howard's End. Um, uh, might not be an exciting movie to all of our listeners, but my wife and I like it. But it's only connect or the two words she focused on and connect the prose and the passion. And she was drawing the tie to – uh, kind of an analogy of technology to the pros but then the passion which is the caring the empathy and the the human spirit in health care so that was that was a takeaway for me they they kind of have a concept they they call people-powered health and they're really focusing on wellness and, and prevention uh, with what they're doing in the uk
0: yeah there were a few others that were familiar to us uh dr elizabeth tiesberg and uh, Scott Wallace, they have been instrumental in setting up the Dell Medical School, which is a new program out in Austin. And they talked a lot about that experience, the the different profile of doctors that are that they are searching for to to begin the medical school there, and yep. um, some of the work that they're doing in those communities to identify uh, value as defined by the patients mm-hmm. and. So, we've we've had them here at CHS, and I'm sure many have read a lot of the
1: the stuff that they have produced when they were back at Harvard, and um, talking really about team based care. You know, something I wrote down is a a standing team will will drive change rather than a pickup game. And I think it was another speaker that also made the sports analogy: is we need to move from a basketball. Sport to a soccer sport because yeah. basketball can be you know it's a team sport but it can be influenced very heavily by a, star a single player, player like LeBron James whereas soccer it's got to be a real team uh, working together yeah the connection points from the goalie to the
0: defense to midfield to the forwards I think that was Doctor Sangavi from Optum who used to run I think the center for um, Medicare and Medicaid Innovation the um, pretty sure that was his previous yeah. role and now yeah. he now he's at Optum.
1: I think uh I think day 2 was when we heard from uh Bon Koo I believe uh yeah, from the ER doc. Fr- yeah, from Jefferson Health and that was really uh inspiring to me. Um you know, I'd, I'd heard the CEO of Jefferson speak earlier this year and about how he wanted to train our future medical leaders differently. How to practice with empathy and that sort of thing, so they basically train physicians there now in design thinking uh, you know they have them prototyping they have them uh, uh, practicing empathy and that sort of thing, so I thought uh, that was really um, cool and exciting It'd be interesting to if we could do something like that within the in the Carolinas It'd be yeah. a great skill set uh, for future practicing physicians and 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 healthcare leaders, and Doctor Koo said that one of the many reasons
0: that they did it is that it has appeared to be a pretty powerful antidote to physician burnout. Yeah, that getting involved in design thinking has really revolutionized, at least for him. He talked about his personal journey of feeling very burnout and feeling like he was just a cog in a system, but that design thinking helped him feel more empowered to grow out of the community and. And he talked about some neat stories of patients that he and his team had worked with very directly. And, yeah, and uh, uh, he and another thing, another theme of the conference that that Dr. Q talked about and, and others was the really sad uh, fact that in America, your healthcare is more strongly correlated with your zip code than yep. <laughs> than almost anything it's else. It's the social determinants. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he talked about some things that they were doing in in certain zip codes in Philadelphia, and one of the social movements that came out of the workshop that Halima Khan and, and Catherine Pereira and, and their teams led uh, was this idea of uh, zip codes. And and so one of them, they at the the very last session there was a, a mini social movement put on by people in one of the workshops about the zip code and they had this chant and this hashtag unzipped and yeah. trying to create some awareness out in the uh, on a national level of
1: zip code being being such a factor in, in people's yeah. health care and can we yeah uh, create some more equity yeah I mean, there's some little mini activism at the conference because mm-hmm. they were asking the question where is where's the patient voice and it, it kind of it made me think about amazon who we talk a lot about in every amazon meeting leadership meeting i understand there's an empty chair and that empty chair is for the customer and you know, on the stage when we came out originally, where the the seats are for the panelists, they had put patient gowns and kind of asked the question, "Where's the patient? Patient voice?" Uh, so, uh, I think as the conversations went on, there were some pretty good examples of that 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 we'll we'll get to. But uh, it, I think it was day two. Um, Catherine Pereira from um, National Health Service Horizons Innovation Group. Uh, ask the question: Who comes into healthcare just to do their job? You know, there's there's not that that many. Um, so, yeah, she was a really powerful speaker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, day two was it was a long day, but it, it was jam packed.
1: Oh, um, well, and the debate. It ended with the debate in day two. That's right? right.
0: So there was a neat debate hosted by Intelligence Squared, mm-hmm. and I I did a little bit of research on them. They do debates of lots of different topics. Uh, one that they're doing soon is whether younger generations are beginning to reject the ideas of democracy and and wanting more um, socialistic types of government. Another one I think was on whether we should be paying college athletes and mm. I mean lots of different topics yeah. uh, but this one was about whether the US healthcare system is terminally broken and so there were two sides to the de- debate one was uh, so, so the, the four position was yeah. Dr. Robert Pearl from yeah. Permanente Group or formerly of Permanente Group and then Dr. Uh, Brownlee I think was her name
1: yeah, she was uh, she was a researcher, bioethicist, uh-huh. maybe if I have that correct. Uh, he was paired with her. The uh, other side was Zeke Emanuel from was it? Pennsylvania, and yeah. yes, he was by far the most animated <laughs> and entertaining. So I need to find some YouTube's of him. He, he was, was incredibly terrific. passionate, and then he was paid, paired up with the current CEO, Geisinger, so Dr. Feinberg. Those were heavy hitters. I think pretty much everyone on the uh, Stage had a book of 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 some that they had sort. written on their own <laughs> yeah um, but it uh, it was a well I mean it was a well done debate it was streamed live and uh, you know I think a lot of it I found myself um, you know uh, uh, tough to vote because it kind of depends on how you interpret the question what what is a terminal patient and and I think some were interpreting it that. That means that there's no hope for health care. I think the way Robert Pearl and and his partner were looking at it is it's uh, it's fixable, but we can't stay on the current trajectory. We've got to do such a radical s- transformation yeah.
0: that it will look yeah. so different than what it looks like today. Yeah, and I think yeah, you know, Dr. Manuel and, and Dr. Feinberg were saying that we're making a ton of progress. If we keep going in this direction, it will get better yeah. with more, maybe more incremental yeah. types of changes. I
1: think they were saying we could, if we could keep uh, with experiments and things that are going on, uh, and longtime players like Geisinger and, and Kaiser and folks like that are doing Intermountain, doing a lot in population health, if we stay on that trajectory, he thinks by 2030 we could really – Get it right. The other side, I think, was really looking at, and you look at the graphs and the numbers that you see. Um, uh, you know, seventeen and a half percent of GDP in healthcare, and no one's even close. Um, I think that's kind of what the other side was looking at—is the gap is so wide. But uh, no, it was a it was a really thought provoking debate. Got to give you credit for stepping up with the awesome question on. Uh, Social determinants, and uh, if we need to focus on that is our social infrastructure uh, equipped for that so yes, uh, we thought he wasn't going to let your question in, but once he heard it, he realized it was a good question he let it in. <laughs> well the so, person right before me had asked a similar no, that was a great question, end the, but, great uh, end of the day
0: yeah, that was a fun day. <laughs> it was a long day and then we went to an event afterwards with some startup companies and got to see a co-working space, which was uh, uh, enjoyable but Day three was Clay Christensen. That's right. So uh,
1: where do you want to start with Clay? Yeah, Yeah. and we could start there. I think I I, I just realized some of what we talked about before might have been in day three. So if you actually attended the conference, my apologies. But uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Christensen, obviously, we talk a lot about on this podcast, came and really he started with some some personal reflections because he's obviously had if you know his history with health um with heart uh cancer stroke teaching himself how to speak again you know he's even on stage he can't feel his feet so he has to use a, a walker and and he struggles for the words sometimes And he tells, he's such a humble guy just says i'm going to struggle with some words if you if you think of what they are go ahead and shout them out for for me but you know he really went through um you know the the theory of of disruption uh the the basics uh of it uh brought it into healthcare and uh i think what really hit me is um you know thinking about low end disruption and he made the statement that we're not really going to dramatically shift the cost curve without low-end disruption that sustaining innovations won't get us there and i think taking in the whole few days all of the work in social in- innovation what we need to do with prevention and and wellness um, you know i kind of went through uh you know the the places you know you go from getting care at hospitals to physician practices to virtual clinics to the home, and then who's giving you the care? It's taking you from the doctors to the nurse practitioner to the pharmacist to the family, and it's all the ultimate disruptor is people actually taking care of themselves in their in the home. Yeah. What's lower end than that? <laughs> But that's often not good enough in some some terms. So. yeah He said, uh,
0: you have to create new institutions, not change the old. And then he had some criticism for healthcare systems who are trying to build a whole lot of new buildings. What hmm. did he say about that, Jay?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, when they ask about hospital systems putting up a lot of new businesses, uh, uh, I think, what did he say? We should pray for them, because <laughs> I think he feels like if we do what we need to do with population uh, health, uh, we won't need all of that. And, and uh, you know, that, that's something that can certainly be debated. I'm sure there's a lot of different views on that. But I, I think, you know, the takeaway was, we've got to be able to, we, we do have a capital intensive business, and we've got to invest in that and keep it up. But We've got to channel more investments to different things, uh, you know, in population health and, and uh, uh, more social innovation mm-hmm. type of work. Um, yeah. Um,
0: there are a couple of things that he mentioned about jobs to be done that I loved. He got to the point that health care, health is not a job to be done. Uh the yeah. the job is I want more life. It's not yeah. that I want more health and that uh when healthcare systems are so focused on just fixing the problem that often misses the mark of truly helping patients get to the job yeah. that they need done to make the progress
1: they want in their life. And I know we've we've been beating the drum on that ever since we, we did the work with Bob Mesta and rewired and You know, when when you ask people to explain health, they can't, and uh, it's not ultimately what they're seeking. And it's very hard as a business to be told people aren't actually seeking what you want to give them, but they're they're seeking the progress you can help them get. So, Mm -hmm. it was great for me to be able to hear Clay kind of send that message to a whole room of healthcare leaders and I, I think that bodes well for the future
0: yeah and he encouraged talking to patients and getting their perspective he's and he, any he cautioned he said that he said your view of the market can be skewed if you aren't talking to patients who have fired you yeah. so he said that with with some of the the sustaining innovations that healthcare systems have done there are some people that have just stopped getting care or stop stopped uh accessing the healthcare system for whatever reason and there are lots of reasons and we typically are talking with the patients who are accessing accessing the healthcare system and, and very frequently and they have very loud voices and and have the the means or the resources to make their voice heard but there are others who either chose have chosen not to make their voice heard, but they still have impressions that are important for yeah. us to understand. And they're
1: not consuming services. They're not consuming. They fired us for They may not be able reason. to get to the services. Yeah, maybe you can't even hire.
0: And so, if you if you're only taking into account the perspectives of those who are hiring you, then you're missing a huge segment of the market of people that have fired you yeah. that would give you a whole ton of insight. Uh, particularly around, I think, how to create better low-end disruptions because yeah. that's likely
1: the stuff that they would begin to access yeah. if and, it was available. And to. you learn whatever workarounds mm-hmm. non-consumers are using, and you can really learn from that. Now, that was a great takeaway. Uh, you know, in uh, one of our earlier p- – Uh, podcast we talked about iowa health um, and he actually cited them the health coach model and we were encouraged by that and when we met him afterwards we were able to talk to him a little bit about what we're doing in proactive health which you know very similar health coach model and he he seemed excited about that and wanted to hear about that so yeah it was music to our
0: ears when he said that we aren't doing enough in healthcare to Understand how to change business models yeah. and so it was really validating to because yeah. that's when he started talking yeah. about Iora and yeah. these other models of of uh, uh, you know changing the, the traditional focus on on a physician you know and, and creating more of a low end type of solution with coaches and another uh, yeah. you know pharmacists and others that could provide a lot of the same things that physicians are currently doing yep. um, Oh, it was just a ton of fun. And, uh, oh, boy, what else? Any other thoughts about that- – Oh, I think one thing he said, uh, he said something about EHRs because um, Elizabeth Rosenthal, who was the moderator for yeah. most of the day, she, I believe, is the editor at Kaiser Health News yeah, or, um, or some leadership there, she asked – him about ehrs and he said that he felt those were very ripe for disruption
1: yes which is interesting with this company named amazon that has a pretty significant web services uh, and analytics capability so we'll see where that goes yeah we shall now it was a it was a great three days again like i said aptly named at mayo transform and uh uh Hope folks have gotten something, you know, out of the takeaway, the the summary, and uh, we'll uh, get information to people in uh, show notes and and, and at work about uh, how to access the videos. That I think that'll be really helpful.
0: Yeah, and we can't say enough about our experience. The the Mayo Clinic was a wonderful host. Yes, uh, the accommodations, just everything was very classy, very well done, and uh, really terrific terrific experience all the way around yeah really well organized mm-hmm. well great well this is ben tingy and jay Gerhart. uh we appreciate you listening uh if you have feedback for us we'd love to hear it you can give us a rating on itunes or google play and uh we'll be posting notes and other things uh for you to access more information about the um Mayo clinic transform conference thanks so much, Jay, for. Uh, talking about our experiences this was a lot of fun thank you